Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Is, uh, I'm gonna teach um, two chapters in three verses. We're just gonna do the first three verses and I want you for your homework this week, I want you to read through Acts chapter 13 and 14 so you can see what happened as a result of what happened in these first three verses of the first church sending missionaries, which by the way, it was cool to be a short-term missionary last week in Lake Placid. I got an opportunity to preach at South Oak down there with our Abide family at South Oak. Pastor Cam is actually leaving right after this service to go and preach at Faith Family Life, one of the other Abide churches. Isn't it cool that we get an opportunity to like serve one another here in the heartland and that, and that pastors in our community would even dare give us the pulpit for the day in their churches? Like This is awesome, I celebrate that, man. So be praying for Cameron, he's gonna be preaching across town at Faith Family Life. But here we are in Acts chapter 13. Oh, didn't Etienne do a nice job last week too? While we're celebrating, let's go ahead and let's just keep on going. My man, Etienne. Now, there were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, these guys had come together. Apparently they had a building at this point. They had started to gather together in a place and the prophets and teachers, like the elders and the pastors and the leaders of the church, they actually got together um, and here, here's who was on the list of elders. You just saw our elders. Here was the elders at Antioch. A guy named Barnabas, say Barnabas. Barnabas. Simeon, say Simeon. Simeon. Who was also called Niger. Lucius, say Lucius. Of Cyrene. Menaean, say Menaean. Not even sure if I said that right. A lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and a guy named Saul, say Saul. This is the Fantastic Five. These are the elders, the pastors, the leaders, the shepherds of the first church that happened at Antioch, the first church that was planted for the sake of reaching Gentiles. Now, while these guys were worshiping the Lord, while these guys were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off first missionaries being sent into the world on purpose, intentionally, to go and make disciples of all nations. It was Barnabas and Saul. There's a couple things I need you to notice about this list of guys that was just mentioned. First of all, I want you to notice the unlikelihood that they would have ever been on the same team. Okay, uh, let's just start with Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas used to go by the name Joseph. But when Jesus got a hold of Joseph, when he was so moved by the gospel and his life was transformed, Joseph actually sold his property, brought the money to the apostles and laid it at their feet. So he didn't, he didn't come to the church and like designate his gift. He actually came to the elders of the church and he says, I'm gonna trust God to use this through you. You decide how this needs to be used. And then Joseph starts to travel around building up other disciples who are in extraordinary peril. And so the apostles said, we got to rename this guy. We're going to call him Barnabas, which means the encourager. And so when you get named by the apostles, the ones that walk with Jesus, you kind of go with that. You know what I'm saying? And so we know him as Barnabas throughout the rest of the scriptures, but he was somebody who had committed his life, was so transformed by the gospel that he existed to build up the body of Christ. And then on the other side, at the end of the list, we have a guy named Saul. 
while Barnabas was selling everything he had to further the gospel and committing his life to it, Saul, on the other hand, had committed his life to tearing down the work of God, to destroying the church, to kicking down people's doors, dragging whole families out, throwing them into prison, to signing off on the execution of Jesus' followers. That's what Saul was doing. I would bet that some of Barnabas' friends and family were victims of what Saul had been doing. But then Saul had an experience with Jesus too, and it totally transformed his life. And it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can make elders out of enemies. They were meant to hate each other, but yet Jesus stepped into their story. And not only was there forgiveness, but he actually used them as a team to change the world. But that's not it. You saw a guy named Manaean. Did you see who his best friend was? Manaean, the guy who was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Who's Herod? This is the Herod of the Gospels, by the way. The same Herod of the beheaded John the Baptist. The same Herod that just in chapter 14 had lopped the head off of James the Apostle. The same Herod that had put Jesus on trial, flogged him, and then sent him back to Pilate to be killed, the same Herod that threw Peter in prison. And Manan was one of his best buds, like lifelong friends. This is a fairly odd Fantastic Five. Only the gospel could bring unity amongst such discord and such division. Not only that, but I want you to see the diversity of these elders. We got Barnabas who, for those of you that care, you note-takers, Barnabas was a Hellenist, which means he was a Greek-speaking Jew, in contrast to Saul, who was a Pharisee, who was a Hebrew Jew. And by the way, though they believed in the same things, they were from the opposite sides of the tracks. They didn't exactly get along. And then you've got, as we go down the list, then we have Simeon, who all we know from the scriptures is that he was also called Niger, which in Latin is black. He was the black guy in the bunch. As far as we know, he's from Central or West Africa somewhere, that he had traveled to become a part of the movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we got this guy named Lucius, who's like North African. I don't know if he was like Egyptian or like, or like more towards the West or what the deal was. And then we got Menaean, who's a rich guy who hangs out with rich guys. And then we have Saul, who's the Hebrew guy. Look at the diversity of the first elder team at the first Gentile church in the history of the world extraordinary. Like these guys since birth had been trained to hate each other and to exercise feelings of superiority over one another. But yet when they all got confronted with and transformed by the gospel, all of a sudden they were on the same team. Brothers worshiping together, praying together, so much so that they were actually hearing from God together. Only the gospel can do something like that. I'll tell you what I love, just as a side note, about the eldership of the Church of Antioch is the Church of Antioch was reflective of the demographic of the city. There was that much cultural and racial diversity. And the elder team was as reflective of the diversity of the church. I want you to know how much we long for that to be the case here. I want you to know how much our elders long for God to continue to bring not only families of multicultural, multi-denominational, multi-socioeconomical families to the family of Grace Bible, but I want you to know like we long for our eldership to be reflective of that. We long to have black and Hispanic and Asian and like 
red and yellow, black and white on the, every layer of leadership in our team. We long for that. We pray for that. One day as a church, we're going to celebrate that. We will. I know that that's what God has for us because I believe that this church of Antioch, through, through, that, uh, through, through their uh, v- variety of um, diversity, I believe that that not only was a picture of the gospel being lived out in front of the people of the community, but that equipped them better to be able to serve the breadth of their community because they were more in tune with the needs in the community around them. And no wonder, judging by their diversity as an elder group, no wonder this was the first group of guys that felt the call of God to send out missionaries unto the world. These guys were representatives of the world. And they had a burden for their own people. And so when they come together to seek God, God began to stir in their heart like, hey, I've brought you together for a purpose, and we're going to send people out from here. So that's exactly what they did. But as important as their diversity was as a group of men, I want you to know that was even more paramount than their diversity was the unity that they had together. It was the diversity gave them opportunity, but it was the unity that empowered them in a unique and powerful way. Look at what they were doing. Did you catch that? This wasn't some called business meeting. This wasn't a scheduled church function. This is just the elders of the church gathering together, and it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. While they were praying and worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke. You know, their experience right there is not unique to what God has designed for us as a church family. I'm not just talking about our elders, but their experience there is that while they were worshiping and praying and fasting, that God like broke through that and spoke to them and had something to say to them and gave them direction and gave them next steps. I want you to know that this was not a unique experience within the kingdom of God. This is like God economics and how he wants it to work for our lives too. Let me give an example. Did you know it's the will of God for your life to live a life that's constantly saturated in prayer and worship and thanksgiving? We see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. Some of y'all could recite this off the top of your head. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. And we usually stop right there, but there's more to the verse. It says, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. You ever catch that part? This is the sovereign, overarching, unstoppable, doesn't matter what season of life you're in, will of God for your life. That your life would have regular rhythms constant rhythms of prayer and worship and fasting and praying and celebrating and thanking him and rejoicing. And notice that while they were walking in the sovereign will of God, God uttered into them his specific will for them. Don't miss this. Most of us spend many an hour in our lives praying. I bet you, I bet you there's a ton of y'all in here this morning that are spending fervent time in your life praying, seeking counsel, trying to figure out what the specific will of God for your life is. Do I go right? Do I go left? Do I stay? Do I go? Do I buy the house? Do I take the job? Oh God, show me the way. Because if I knew what you wanted, that's exactly what I would do. And I wonder how many of us are spending a lot of time seeking the specific will of God, but we're not intentionally walking in the sovereign will of God. We're not walking in the habits of, in the rhythms of, rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and in everything give thanks because this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. In other words, we're trying to get a clear view of the pin on the golf course, but we're not even standing in the fairway. 
We're like out in the trees and in the rocks because we're not walking in the sovereign will of God in these rhythms, but we're saying, God, show me. I can't see it. Clear the fog. Remove the trees. And God bellows back, get back in the fairway. It'll be clear. God telling us to do these three rhythms is not him trying to like make himself feel better because now he has our attention. He recognizes that our hearts and our minds are not going to be attuned to his if we are not walking with him. How are we going to hear the voice of God if our hearts aren't being woven to his in our regular rhythms of life? And so he calls us into the sovereign will of God. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In other words, Acts chapter 13, while you are worshiping and praying and fasting, while you are seeking the face of God, he'll have something to say. He'll have something to say. And the difference is you'll actually hear it because he's speaking all the time. But we just don't hear it because we're not rejoicing, always praying without ceasing and in everything give thanks. Our minds are too clouded by all the other stuff that's consuming us so we miss the voice of God. All the while we're calling out, show me the way, show me the way. Oh, he will, and he is, but you just can't see it. Rejoice, always pray without ceasing. Worship and fast and prayer and hear from the word of the Lord and what he has for you. Notice that these guys, like, when they, when they showed up to this, this worship service together, they worshiped, fasted, and prayed. They heard from God, and then after they heard from God, they went and fasted and prayed some more just to make sure that they heard everything, just to make sure that they knew exactly what God had for them to do because God had just told them to send out Paul and Barnabas. And listen, like, this must have been hard, Grace Bible. This must have been really hard to hear from God that you're about to have to send some of your best out into the mission field, knowing good and well that they might not ever come back by the way things are going in their culture at that time. Not to mention, like, the church at Antioch was thriving, and it was exploding, and it was amazing what God was doing. It's like, Lord, really? Barnabas and Saul, like, isn't there some other options? I mean, Barnabas is our pastoral care pastor. He keeps us all charged up. Saul's the best communicator, like surely we can host a three-month or a six-month class, get volunteers of people that are willing to go, we'll bring them in, we'll see like who rises to the top, and that's who we'll send out. Heck, let's send Lucius, nobody even knows who he is, you know what I'm saying? Let's send Manan. I mean, he's friends with Herod, he needs to get out of here anyway, like, no, 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 and God spoke to them, there was no vote. Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas didn't volunteer. While they were worshiping God, he spoke in such a way that there was a unified front of the elders of that church, and they knew Paul and Barnabas had to go. And man, can you imagine how tough? Can you imagine how the church people must have felt? This wasn't some, this wasn't some nameless, faceless couple guys that were about to get sent out. This was their pastors, two out of five. We just commissioned the sixth pastor of GBC. What if, what, if two out of, what if two of us got up here this weekend after we commissioned Ritter and said we wanted to commission Ritter publicly because two of us are about to leave publicly. We got to go. God's told us we got to go hit the mission field. We keep preaching about it, so we're just going to be about it. What if? Imagine how they felt. It was like, oh, well. And then they start thinking about, well, couldn't we send so-and-so? Couldn't we get somebody else to do this? Like, Paul, man, you're one of the ones that has, like, engaged us with the gospel unlike anybody else. Like, you got to stay. It's hard. You know, it's exciting to send Cameron 
to faith family life because we think he's coming back, Lord willing. He may decide he likes that church better and he'll be gone. But we're excited because he's coming back. It's a short-term missions trip for us. So we can celebrate that and we get excited. But, man, it was just about a month ago, our preschool lead, Lauren, got up here. And we're sending her away, not for short-term. She's gone, gone. She's going to be in the bush of Africa in about a month and a half. And while most of us celebrate that, the irony is, as I was talking to a mom at the, at the Highlands County Heritage Festival yesterday, anybody make it out to that? I was there. Y'all don't even know what it was. Okay, I was there. Way out in the obscure village of Lorita. I was talking to a mom yesterday that's fairly new to Grace, and she said, I am so thankful that I finally am able to get back to going to church. I mean, she's been out of church, I think, for like quite a bit of time in her life. I'm so thankful to finally be coming back to church, and I'm so thankful to have met Lauren because like my little... My little two or three-year-old daughter here is like, man, she just warms up to Lauren so much, and so I can come and worship and not be worried about her. I'm just so grateful. I'm said, well, I'm grateful too, but we're sending Lauren to Africa in six weeks. Um, man, it makes it hard. Because, like, Lauren's presence to us matters, and it matters to families, and it's like, man, isn't there somebody else that could go that hasn't made those connections yet? Isn't there somebody else who hasn't yet stepped into a significant place in the kingdom of God where they can say, you know what, I'm going to go, I'll go do that. But no, God told us Lauren's got to go. And so much like this moment, it's time to send her out. You know, Paul and Barnabas were among the best and God had appointed them. And I think the Lord was showing the elders in the church of Antioch that sometimes the Lord sets apart people to stay and make disciples. And sometimes he sets apart people to go and make disciples. Did you know, follow me through this here. Did you know that prior to the pandemic shutdown, where church all over the world just went online, the weekly average attendance here, I'm talking about people in person, cheeks in seats. I got that from somebody else, but that's really funny. Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for that to settle in. <laughs> the week, the week, every week, average attendance prior to the pandemic shutdown, our average attendance was 1,500 people sitting in the seats every weekend at Grace. That, that's not an inflated number. That's an actual number. Deacon standing at the door counting people walking in the door. That's not including Wednesday nights. That's not including special activities. That's including three services on Sunday morning. It's a lot of people. Did you know that according to the census of Highlands County, Highlands County has just recently eclipsed about 100,000 people, seasonally, of course, within the county? Do you, do you recognize that even in peak season, the family of Grace Bible Church, which we got to see a lot of them a couple weeks ago, Easter, we had 1,500 people sitting in the seats. Do you realize that even in like peak season of Highlands County, that you, the body of GBC, is 1.5% of the county's population, the county now, the largest single gathering church in the country is less than a half a percent of its city. You are 1.5% of your county. Do you get what I'm saying? The amount of gathering that God has allowed to happen here is substantial. 
And he hasn't done it so that we could pat ourselves on the back and look at how many people are showing up here. He's gathered more missionaries here, and he's going to expect more from our missionaries to go. You hear what I'm saying? This is why he's gathered us, so we can be equipped for the work of ministry together. I remember it was just a little over 15 years ago. Some of you guys can remember it, maybe 15, 16 years ago. Some of you guys were here. Grace Bible was about a Bible study of 15 people. That was that. And then fast forward to now, there's been a substantial growth of people that have gathered here together on a regular basis. We've celebrated over 1,000 people confessing Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. We've celebrated over 1,000 people being dumped in believer's baptism over these years. We have laughed together. We have cried together. We have suffered together. We have worshiped together. We have experienced life together and death together. We have seen hundreds born and hundreds die. We have worshiped together through economic collapses. We have worshiped together through changes in office. We have worshiped together through changes in leadership here. We have worshiped together through global pandemics. Man, we've been through something together. And God has continued to affirm to the elders of GBC. And we've been talking about it over these last couple of years. This is the drum we're going to continue to bang. That through all of that, that it is time, we have to come to a place as a church where we are no longer just about the gathering, but we are about the going. He didn't gather so many of us just so that we could enjoy being here together. Wear our cool new t-shirts that I was supposed to wear and forgot. Man, he gathered this many people with this kind of influence, and he placed you everywhere in the heartland so that he could equip us for the work of ministry, to be missionaries right where he's called us to be. You've heard it over and over again. Now, we get an opportunity to see Lauren go, but just like I told you what we saw in these first three verses, some of us are called to stay and make disciples. Some of us are called to go and make disciples. But like, I want you to know that Lauren's not the only one who's heard the call of mission on her life and has taken off to Zambia, Africa, to one of the most remote mission bases on planet Earth. She's not the only one that is hearing the call of God on her life for mission. No, as a matter of fact, the call to mission has saturated the seats of Grace Bible as well. There are so many stories, some of which I know I haven't even heard yet, but a few that have like washed up on my shore. Uh, here's a group of ladies in Grace Bible. They're a part of one of our grace groups. It's just a group of ladies. And they decided, you know what? If we're going to be missionaries, then what we need to do is women who have been mamas before, we need to wrap our arms around a mama who comes into Choices Pregnancy Care Center who is vulnerable, who abortion is a possibility for her, who she's not sure what she's going to do next or where her resources are come from, we're going to step into her story. We're going to wrap our arms around her, not just for a one-time event, but we're going to wrap our arms around her for the seasons of her life, and we're going to make her and her family our mission field. And so just six weeks ago, we hosted a baby shower for a mama from the Choices Pregnancy Care Center, and that small group of ladies loved on her. There were so many gifts, it was ridiculous. They served food. They loved on the family. They let her invite her friends and family. And this small group of ladies wrapped their arms around her. And I, and I asked the leader of the group, I said, hey, so like, what's the plan? Like, is this, 
was this it? And she says, oh no, we're just getting started. We're gonna be there for Mother's Day, we're gonna be there for Christmas, we're gonna be there for birthdays, we're gonna walk with this mama through life. That's mission. Right where God planted you, doing what mamas love to do anyway. And these are all mamas that their kids are already out of the house. Some of them are grandmamas. But they're going to wrap their arms around this family that, by the way, comes from a totally different culture, comes from a totally different demographic of life. They're going to immerse themselves into her story. We have a, an accomplished businessman in our community that has decided, you know what, I'm going, to get, I'm going to get together with a group of other younger businessmen in our community, and I'm going to start discipling them. Not to be better businessmen, but how to be better disciples and followers of Jesus, and also how to be better leaders in their home and in the workplace and in the community. Mission. Right where God placed us. That also reminds me of a story of a young lady in our church that works in the medical business and the assisted living care world. Uh, this morning at 10 o'clock while we're having our 10 o'clock service, she's gathering the residents as she does every week. She's going to gather them together in the common room and she's going to turn on Grace Bible Live and the residents of that assisted care facility are going to watch us talk about the word of God. It'll be cool to get to talk about them on camera while they're watching. And then she ministers to them and pastors them when the service is over. And then she hosts an additional Bible study for the residents later on in the week. Mission. Right where God placed us. Just doing the thing that we were already doing, that we love to do, but doing it with gospel intentionality. You've heard me talk a lot about the pawn shop guy. The guy that's turned his pawn shop into a mission station. For all of his customers, he has Bibles available that he gives to them with their purchase. He leaves worship music on and even sermons playing while customers are in the pawn shop. I was in the pawn shop a few weeks ago just stopping by to check on him because like when I get discouraged, I go see the pawn shop guy. He just breathes life. Those of y'all that know the pawn shop guy know what I'm talking about. It's just something. God has so got a hold of his life. It's like I walk in there and I'm walking around looking at all the stuff, you know, and the guy comes in looking for, looking for a gun and some ammo. And this particular pawn shop owner is not against guns or ammo or none of that stuff. But I'll tell you what he said to the guy who just had to have the latest model of the whatever. He pointed at the gun. The pawn shop owner says, he pointed at the gun. He says, I'll tell you what, man, that's a great gun, but it's not going to be able to rescue you. And begins to minister the gospel to this dude over an AR-15. Who does that? The pawn shop guy does. Living on mission, right where God placed him, doing the thing he loves to do with gospel intentionality. I talked to a boy who's a high school senior this past, actually it was about six weeks ago, um, and he has started going to the gym, trying to improve his health a little bit, and God brought to him a man in the gym who speaks very broken English, but he sat down with the guy and just began to talk with him, build a relationship with him, and just minister to the guy and share the gospel with the guy. The guy's more than twice his age. Well, the guy, after several conversations, confesses Jesus as the Lord of his life. Now, a high school senior is like discipling a 35-year-old man because he's just living on mission at the gym while he's doing his normal stuff, doing it with gospel intentionality. You see how some missionaries are called to go and make disciples, and some missionaries are called to stay and make disciples. You get the picture. And that's what we get to see right here in Acts chapter 13 in these first few verses. I hope that you'll read the next two chapters, 13 and 14. You get to see what happened 
to Saul and Barnabas as they went about on the very first missionary journey before they made a big loop to come back to Antioch. But my encouragement to you is maybe there's something we can learn from this group of elders. While they were worshiping and praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke unto them and showed them exactly where to go and what to do. And he can do the same for us. And he will. Let's pray. Father, have your way in us, Lord. We are your people, and this is your church, and this is your mission, and we are grateful that you even invited us to be a part of it. I know we get in the way, and I know we must slow things down, but in your grace, Lord, you allow us to be a part of your mission family so that we can see the work of God happen right in front of our face. So you be the glory forever and ever. Have your way in us, this church, this family, our families. In Jesus' name we pray.